Still the video. We've been on a series that we're calling Guardrails, and um, I just wanted to hear the, the music for the video again. I just like that Hawaiian slack key thing going on. It's, it's great music. Um, but before we leap into it, you know, I like to start in Proverbs today being the 23rd. I always dip in, and here's a proverb out of, uh, out of Proverbs chapter 23. And um, this is an interesting one, and um, I couldn't not choose it. So and if this makes you angry with me, just hold on. Just hold on, okay? So, I know they didn't want to hear this proverb. <laughs> um, so uh, this is a controversial proverb, but it's the word of God. So here it comes: Don't don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. <laughs> okay, a good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death. You know, I used to chuckle when I would hear, "This hurts me more than it hurts you." <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure my dad said that a couple of times. He had lots of opportunities to say it, didn't always say it. And um, I don't know if I ever said that to my kids or not, but we're going to talk just a little bit about spanking a little bit later. And um, so if I have triggered something sensitive in you, please hang on. Don't discount everything else you hear now, okay? So just let's go for the ride. Uh, we've been talking about guardrails, and um, a guardrail is, you know, you physically you see them all over, but you really never notice them. A guardrail is defined as a, a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And it's interesting as you drive around, if you take a minute to notice them, you'll see that they're sitting somewhere that um, is safe to be. In other words, they build the, the, the guardrail in the safe part of the roadway. In fact, if there was no guardrail there, you could actually drive on top of the spot where the guardrail is. It's safe to be there. You have to build a guardrail where it's safe. It doesn't do any good down in the bottom of the canyon, right? So you've got to put it up in the safe zone. And um, so we've, we've been talking about guardrails, and of course this is not us trying to um, be pitchmen for the um, Department of Transportation. There's a figurative connection here for us. What if we were to have guardrails in the areas of our life that we can crash and burn as well? That's what the subject matter has been over the last few weeks. What would it look like if we had a guardrail for ourselves that was financial or relational? or all of these areas, and you can fill in the blanks. Um, so we came up with our own definition of what a guardrail would be um, for, the, for this application, and it's this, a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In other words, it's something that I decide about the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to build this guardrail, and if I bump that guardrail, it's going to trigger something in my consciousness that says, oops, this is dangerous, back up, turn, do something different because you don't want to be on the other side of this guardrail. 
And all of the same things that are true about a physical guardrail are true about this one. You have to build it in the safe zone. It doesn't do any good to build a guardrail behind you as you're falling down the canyon, right? So you have to think like that. You've got to get a little further in advance. And instead of tripping you up after you crash, the idea is that it would signal you before you get yourself into trouble. I think about my biggest regrets, and probably this is true for you too, the biggest regrets that we have in life might have been averted if there had been some guardrails in place earlier in our life. That's why we're talking about this today. And the thing is, hey, there's somebody standing here with me. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, honey. Lisa's going to help me. Um, the thing is about <laughs> guardrails is, and, and, is that our culture is not going to help us with this. Culture will not help you build guardrails. They pretend to. We talked about that. You know, um, There are some cute attempts that are PR campaigns, really, but they really, culture really won't help you. In fact, culture is a little bit, um, they're not helpful. Culture baits us to the edge. And then when we step over, it makes fun of us. For example, it baits you. Hey, I don't know how many credit card applications you get in the mail a week. A lot. I mean, I've said, don't send them to me anymore, and I still probably get four or five every week. And they bait, come on, come on. You know, you go to Home Depot, one of my favorite places to be. I can't do anything with what's in there, but I like being there. <laughs> I go there, and you, you, the very polite, nice person, when they take your money, uh, should we put that on your Home Depot card? Well, I don't have one. Well, would you like one? Because we'll give you, a, we'll give you a discount. They bait you, bait you, bait you. And then when you have so many credit cards that you can't pay the bills, they smack you down and say, you are irresponsible. They just mock you for having gone right where they said, hey, come on over here. Culture is not going to help us. It's, it's just not going to help us with, um, with these guardrails. So um, my goal for you in this series is that you, you will personally decide and develop some behaviors that will become your own guardrails and they'll become a matter of conscience for you. Because I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what the guardrails ought to be in your life. I'll preach the word of God, but I think what will happen is as we're talking about this, the Holy Spirit's out here having these other conversations that are really the primary sermon. You know, I stand up here in front and I've studied the Word of God and I've got this plan and it's all planned out and I've got to have some cute slides and I've got this wonderful woman standing with me today. She's going to help me teach the lesson and I've got all these plans, but the truth I really believe is that while I'm doing this, you know, the Holy Spirit gets out here and there's going to be 120 different sermons than the one I preach today. And I hope that what's going on in your heart is that something about your own future, something promising is coming up in you, and that the Holy Spirit and you, combined with your will, are going to start putting up these guardrails that are only there to lovingly protect you. You know, it's the way a parent thinks. That's how God thinks about you. He doesn't have a list of things. Now, here's the list. Don't you dare do these 14 things. That's not how God thinks. He thinks there's a canyon, there's a crash and burn, there's a broken heart. Don't go there. Don't go down there. Go this way. Come on. That's how your Father, your Heavenly Father, thinks about you. And it's, you know, kind of how I think about my kids. It's how we think about our children. And, um, and so today we're going to have some fun talking about some of the events that have happened over the years in the Fisher household. Um, <laughs> um, and as we build these guardrails, you know, I, uh, we've spent a couple of minutes time talking about the differences between wise people and foolish people. A fool is someone who knows what's wrong, and they don't care. 
That's really foolish. They know something's wrong, and they just don't care. But a wise person decides that they're just not going to live on the edge of disaster. They build some safe zones, and that's where they live. Guard, guardrails do a couple of things. They protect us from going into this dangerous zone. But beyond that, they also have this more subtle role of guiding us. Notice when you get on the freeway, you go up on an on-ramp, you don't actually get onto the freeway by bouncing back and forth on the guardrails, okay? You don't actually hit them. You're not supposed to anyway, right? <laughs> you, you look, especially if it's like this morning, it was foggy, and I'm, you know, you know hurtling down the freeway faster than I ought to because I can't see all that far, um, I felt like I needed to confess that to you because I know you did too, some of you. <laughs> but, you know, you, you have a fog line and you have a guardrail and it kind of tells you if you're pointed the right way. When you go on the off-ramps and you go on the on-ramps, you, you, they guide you. They don't just guide you when you bump them, but they give you some, some pattern. Well, that's the other role of a guardrail. They protect you, but they guide you. And uh, I've been very diligent to say all through the series so far that this is about you establishing the guardrails for your own future. But there are times and places where somebody else puts a guardrail up for you. Or, and I want to spend more time on this today, there are times when it's your role to build a guardrail to protect somebody else, particularly when you're a parent. Now, um, I want to just um, qualify that commentary for a moment and say this. Some of you um, maybe are not parents. Maybe you will never be parents biologically. Or maybe you have already born children and raised them and they're up and out and you don't have grandkids yet, like that's where we are. Um, or maybe your heart is broken because you've wanted children and you haven't been able to. I, um, I want you to know that, that I believe the Lord considers every one of us responsible for the generation that's following along. My role with three specific human beings is very, very um, well outlined by the Lord, but I have a role with a lot more than three. And the vast majority are not my offspring. And you do too. Um, when we just took a minute, 10 minutes ago, and we pulled a little girl up here, and we, as a group, listened to her recite the word of God. We parented her. Things are going on in her heart right now because you decided to just give up two minutes of your day and put your attention on a little girl and reward her with positive attention because of the good things she's doing. That's parenting. And you might have only done it because I led you in it, but I think you would have done it for some other reason as well. I mean, you will do that kind of behavior again. And you do it all the time, especially when you decide to slow down for just a minute and to parent the kids that you have the opportunity to parent, whether they're your offspring or not. So we're going to talk about some parenting skills today. Um, and I hope that every one of you finds this relevant. You need to, because there's something in here, I think, for every one of us. Um, when, um, when I think about guardrails, I think the ones that the Lord puts into my pathway are there because he has his highest and his best for Terry. And if I can find my way between the guardrails that he puts in my life, I'm more pointed towards his highest and his best than if I jump the rails and I go overland on my own direction. I'm grateful for people who build guardrails. I mean, think this through. I drive the highways, as do you mostly, and um, 
somebody somewhere has looked at the roadway and said, this is kind of a dangerous curve. I think we should do something to protect Terry when he gets here. They don't name me, but I'm in their mind and in their heart. Maybe, it's their, maybe they're employed by the state or some, some agent, government agency. That's their job. Go find a dangerous place and figure out how to make it safe. So they go and they look and they say, okay, when Terry gets here, he's going to be driving over the speed limit a few miles an hour. Sometimes it's <laughs> foggy, might be slippery. Something's going on. We better just you know, protect him from himself. So one person figures out, let's see, if we start the guardrail here and it goes to here and it's this height and it's made of this material, it'll probably keep him safe. It'll bang his car up some, but this is what we need to do. Then somebody else, I'm grateful for that next person, they show up with the wood posts, they drill the holes, they put the things in the ground, they tamp it, they make sure it's lined up straight and perfect. It's where it's supposed to be and it's built. I'm grateful for that person. Then another person comes along. It's their job, too. Every so often, they look at them. They test it. Is this still sound? It's been bumped a couple of times. We better repair that end, but the rest of it looks okay. They, they maintain it. And then last but not least, somebody somewhere paid for this guardrail. That's us, right? <laughs> somebody somewhere didn't think, okay, we need a guardrail going over the overpass over the railroad trestle down here on Highway 12 because cars will shoot off if we don't because it's a curve and... So you and I gave up some of our money to buy that guardrail, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all of those people. If you're a parent, you have to search out in advance and look for the places where danger are going to come. You're more experienced at life. You have more life experience. You've been off the road a couple of times. You have to think through, where are my children going to be at risk? Then you start thinking, what will it take for me to protect them What's it going to look like? Then you have to physically construct that barrier, figuratively speaking. Then you have to occasionally test it and maintain it. And sometimes you get some grief from your children about the guardrails you put up. Maybe you get grief from other people you know about the guardrails you put up for your kids. There's a price to pay. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the people who... um, participate in the building of guardrails. Honey, you're being so patient. I'm good. I'm fine. You are good. You're beautiful. (laughs) I love having you here. Um, I asked Lisa probably um, a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, I said, you know, I'm going to be doing a series and I would really like you to help me on one of our services. And she said, okay. So um, she's going to join us in a couple minutes and I need you to be really smiling at her. (laughs) Okay? Okay. So um, today we're going to be talking about the role of parents in setting guardrails for their kids. And uh, so I've, I've actually helped for one of the two best mothers creation has ever seen. You can disagree <laughs> with me later on that. But um, smile at my, my wife. Say, hi, Lisa. Oh, please. Yes, hi. Okay. I'm happy there to we be go. here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today our text is going to be um, a scripture that many of you know by heart. It's Proverbs 22.6. And um, this particular scripture is a promise that I know a lot of people who have bear-hugged themselves as parents to this scripture, and they won't let go. And I'm one of them. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. There, um, there is a promise from God. I promise you this. Your children will wander. They will work their way trying to, f- trying to grow up. They, they, they will sometimes get on on-ramps by banging into the guardrails on either side. Hopefully there will be guardrails there. 
<laughs> You're thinking of a story here. <laughs> what happened? Did I get a new car out of the deal or something? Or Oh, I hadn't thought about that one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, it, you hop in here if you've got something. No, no, it's... Uh, not yet? Uh, okay. Anyway, I think this scripture is a good one because I also know a lot of parents who today are tensioned in their soul. They love their kids like crazy. And they see the kids here a little bit going um, overland. They're not on the trail. Somewhere the kids have gotten off course or they're on the wrong side of the railings and there's some bumpiness going on and maybe some pain. But they were raised up in the way they should go. And like a, like a bear hug around this scripture, they hold. Because God has said, you know, there could be some rough road coming ahead. But if you raise them up in the way they go, they're going to get on that course. They will be okay. Hold to that promise. And I would say that to every one of you as a parent. If your kids are a little off course, hold to that promise. And if you are raising your kids, make sure you do the first, the front end of that deal. Raise them up in the way they should go. There's, this scripture is a fun one if you just look at it in some of the translations. So I'm going to give you a few of these rapid fire. Other translations, the same scripture. Today's English version Teach children how they should live, and they'll remember it all their life. Message. Point your kids in the right direction, and when they're old, they won't be lost. I like the way that one sounds. Amplified, which is always going to go for some extra mileage. Um, Train up a child in the way he should go. And in keeping with his individual gift or bent, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a great one. I got three kids. If you have more than one child, you will know this is true. I have three kids, and all three of them needed to be raised up differently than the others. You have to raise them up in the way they need to go. You may have a gr- the best formula in the world, and you'll find out on your first child that it was really a good formula, but you're going to have to modify it as you go because the child is never what you expect. And then another one comes along, and that's like, start over, almost. You're wiser, <laughs> but the way they should go is the trick. We'll talk about that a little bit today. New century version. Train children how to live right. And when they're old, they'll not change. New living. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. NIV. Start children off on the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not turn from it. So hold on to that promise. And then the training up includes this. Here's another proverb for us, although that was our text. Here's one about functional guardrails. Proverbs 27, 12 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going, and they suffer for it. Smart people see the danger coming, and they back away from it. But simple-minded people, hey, there's the edge of the, there it went, the edge of the canyon, there it goes. Ah. <laughs> so that's like, a, that's, that's like a guardrail verse, okay? That verse tells you about building guardrails, and it, and it, and it can spawn this really good, Good prayer. Lord, help us see danger before we get to it. Give us the wisdom to know what to do when we get there. And then also, Lord, I need courage. Give me the courage to do what I know to be right. That's a great prayer. And um, so um, our role here is not only to protect the kids with guardrails, but to train them how to build guardrails on their own. Because you can't always do it. 
the, the time comes when your opportunity to put, put guardrails in front of them will only become obstacles between you and them. At some point, they've got to be able to do it. It's, it's, um, it's important that that's part of your plan that you uh, will plan to do that. So today, in our own informal style, um, we're going to share with you some of the guardrails that we identified early on in our household. And it's nothing more than that. These are things that um, we've experienced and we thought it would be kind of fun to tell you about some of the guardrails in the Fisher household and how we got there. And, um, and so, I, you know, you'll hear some of the Fisher's dirty laundry today. And, <laughs> and it's easy on us because it's our kids' dirty yeah, laundry. It's not, it's, about, not it's not about us. It's about yeah. them. <laughs> And I, I just want to caution you about this too, though. As you build guardrails and as you identify some of these things in your life, um, you need to prepare for the fact that you're going to get some cultural pushback, not just from your kids, but there is cultural pushback on some of the things that we'll talk about today. An example of that was the proverb that I shared about spanking today. The scripture says that if you don't choose to correct your children, they'll be spoiled. And I realize it's a very controversial topic. Um, it's not controversial because of the Word of God. It's controversial because culture has a different take on, on the topic of spanking. Now listen, if this, if this topic uh, causes you to close up in your heart because you experienced physical abuse, I want you to know that's not what I'm talking about and that is not what the Word of God here is talking about. And it, it needs to not cloud the truth here. Because, because imperfect human beings um, have and do misuse Scripture and abuse, at times, children physically. Um, that's heartbreaking, it's wrong, it's evil, and it needs to be fixed. Children need to be protected. But to go to the other end of the spectrum and say, well, because some people... Um, have abused, we should walk away from it and ignore a spiritual truth laid out in the Word of God. That's a bigger mistake in my mind. It's, it's an assessment on my part. But I think that to ignore a portion of Scripture because culture chafes, um, you know, I was spanked, and I spanked my kids. And I was not physically abused. It never happened for me. And I'm grateful. I had a very loving mother and father. They loved me like crazy. And they spanked me. Um, and it hurt. And I cried. And it modified my behavior. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes in little steps. Um, and I see the truth in it. And I found myself needing and choosing to spank my own children and I hated it. But I clung to it because I felt that the Word was teaching something there. You know, it would be really wonderful if a five-year-old child or a seven-year-old child could have a reasonable, mature discussion about the appropriateness of certain behaviors and activities. <laughs> that would be nice. I'd like to win the World Series as the next pitcher, too, but... You know, I mean, a five-year-old child just is not capable of that level of maturity. And the Lord knows, and that's why he says what he says in his word of God. So I'm going to leave that topic for now, um, except to say that um, um, 
I'm, I'm comfortable with the fact that it's love to correct your children. And I'm uncomfortable with a concept that would say that it's okay not to correct children. I think that's unloving. I think that pushes, pushes something that the Lord intends to be shaped at a younger age. It pushes it into a time and later in life when the word no is less receptive and the dangers are so much bigger. Mm-hmm. To shape a will when a marriage is at risk or jail time is at risk or whatever is so much less wise in my mind than to just teach the, limit, the limiting of a self-will at an earlier age. Anyway, so um, I'll get off of that. I spent more time on that than I'm th- yeah. I thought it was. <laughs> so, That's good. Um, thank you. Okay, so, um, so, so um, I would just say this to you about culture. We have to choose not to allow culture to redefine scriptures into culture's image. And, um, you know, I know there were times that we were in a public mall and one of our children really needed a spanking. <laughs> needed it. And um, yet the apprehension to do it, because somebody would come up and say, hey, you're going to stop that, or I'm going to report you. And I've heard those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Or I've talked to people who have heard it. We can't, we've got to be wise. You need to be wise about this. And there's no sense in inflaming the process out there. But your child's needs come first. Mm-hmm. And there's a smart way for you to do that without creating a scene. Anyway, refuse to let culture shape you. So anyway, okay, back to where we're going to go. Let's get into some guardrails and talk about that. This is the part that I've asked Lisa to help me with. Remind you now, what a guardrail is, it's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Some of these guardrails are guardrails that, as parent, you should do them. And some of these guardrails we're going to talk about are guardrails that we implemented for our children without their choice, okay? So there's two kinds coming on. Honey, why don't you... um, uh, the first one yeah. is going to be a parental guardrail. And we prayed, uh, it's pray over your kids every day. Um, it's important to um, cover them as they go out. And now I'm going to get ahead of myself, so I better not do that. Um, the prayer should be not a telegram, but um, more or less that you should um, sometimes listen more than petition. Let God fill in the gaps and let him um, direct your prayers. And then... Um, Regular prayer enforces spiritual priorities, and um, it starts off with the, the the normal, you know, keep my kids safe and and help them be mentally alert and all that kind of stuff. But it develops more uh, um, into the the kids. Um, it, it it causes them to be more um, godly influences rather than being influenced in the world of the world by the world, and that was. Um, I don't want to go there yet. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna. Talk about how that played down. out in our family. What What was you know, we pray for your kids every day? What was that like in our house? It was. Um, some. You know. I know that we did it every day. Sometimes um, the bus came early, or we were late, or whatnot. We always did it, but we tried to gather together first and pray as a, a, as a group. Um, and and it was sometimes it wasn't a long prayer. Sometimes it was. You know, the kids really wanted to bring up needs they wanted to be involved but the point is is that we wanted god to start off our day um covered us with prayer for the day so like over the course of um over a couple of decades we um as a regular routine 
um, prayed about whether our children, where they should go to school. I was going to say that. So I, that's I go too I far? Getting, that's, you're getting ahead of me. Sorry. <laughs> well, okay, let me just say that because that's really important. Um, the, the next thing I was going to say was that regular prayer is answered by God. And um, I had this, particularly me, I can't speak for you, but I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. Should they go to public school? Should they go to private school? Should I homeschool them? And um, I just really wanted to do the right thing. I thought, oh homeschooling would be fun, and I could get into that. But, you know, I prayed regularly, God, what should I do? What's the best thing for the kids? Our kids ended up going to public school all the way through. It was the right for them thing for them to do. And and I want to, where it says prayer is answered by God, I think it was more my prayer was answered by God because I knew what I was doing because um, I had several times kids would come home and, like, one of them said, I got to pray with nine kids at recess. I'm like, oh. That's an answer right there. Mm-hmm. And another one was um, one of the kids um, took the initiative and recruited a bunch of other kids and did see you at the poll. They were the only ones there. And it was like if they were public, if they were homeschooled or private, nothing wrong with that. Please don't get me wrong. This was just the right thing for my kids. And, again, God just reassured me I was doing the right thing. We were asking the question, raise up a child in the way he should go mm-hmm. or she. So one of our questions was, Lord, where do you want him in school? Yeah. Um, that was more important to us than the mechanics or the finances. Um, you know, private schools are expensive, public schools um, less expensive, homeschooling. I mean, that wasn't really what made the determination. We said, Lord, what do, where do you want our kids? What's best for them? Now, we can look backwards and say things were shaped and forged in them in the public school environment that might not have been shaped had they been in a homeschool environment. That was the Lord's way for the three kids. And we, we didn't, just because the first one went on that pathway, didn't put the rest of them. We pursued that question. But here's how our, I, I, I don't know if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm jumping ahead of you, just smack me, honey. My, you know, no. Yeah. It's, all, it's um, being recorded. Yeah. Terry, it's my turn. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we first started praying, I can still remember the, the, the oh, terror is too strong a word, but the first day that we put our firstborn on the bus to go to school, I mean, always having been, tucked underneath mom and dad's wing and all of a sudden now we're putting this little creature on this big yellow school bus and he looks so cute but there he goes you know and our prayers at first were oh lord protect him bring him back safe keep him from catching a cold right but like lisa said that uh, over time you you start praying including some pauses and you're listening to the lord and over time, the prayers shifted as the Lord would be speaking to us. Lord, grant them wisdom. Lord, grant them sensitivity to their classmates. God, help them to be influencers of people around them rather than being influenced by the people. And that was the leading of the Holy Spirit about how to pray for our kids. And um, so over the course of a couple of decades, this is not bragging. This is just something we really believe and encourage you to do. And it, I want to say it's not too late. If you haven't done that up until now and your kids are in high school, still do it. Yeah. It's, not, it it's not a bad thing. Right. No. Good one. Okay. Let's go on to the next one. Um, here's one that I'll, that I'll share with you. And the guardrail is this. No one of our children is ever allowed to pollute the heart of, of anybody else ever. That's a kind of an inflammatory word, to pollute somebody else's heart. Okay, I, I picked those, that wording on purpose. Here's what that means. Kids, it doesn't matter where they go to school, they get out there and they, stuff, you know, they, they start collecting things. Ideas, concepts, attitudes, 
etc. And some of those things are, they're just not good. So I use the word pollute. That's a good one. Some of those things have the potential to pollute them. And then they can bring them home and they got a little sister and a little brother or a big brother or something. They got siblings that they can then introduce that idea to as well. That's what I'm talking about. No one is ever allowed to pollute anybody else. Here's how, here's an example of what I mean by that. So we had this standard in our household. We, we, we love the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve, serve the Lord. So we're, we're trying to have this safe, godly home environment, and uh, we don't want anybody to come in and pollute it, including children, and they will, right? <laughs> Stuff sticks to them. They just get out there. They get gum in the bottom. Of the, and and so, figuratively speaking, they, they bring stuff home. So we noticed our, our we're going to name names. So you can thrash on my kids later. I mean, so you'd say, was this really, why did you do this? Um, but he's not here today, so. <laughs> so. So this is a Ben story. Ben's our firstborn. And um, we, we, uh, he, knew the, he knew the story on this. He knew don't, don't be, you know, there are certain things we're just not going to do in our household. And we're not going to, they just don't happen here. And we started noticing Ben changing. We started noticing an attitude. We started noticing um, a withdrawing away from joy. Kind of hard things to quantify, but you know it when you see it in your kid. When you see your children and they're on a tri- typical trajectory, and all of a sudden the tra- trajectory starts a different, and it's darker. And so we started noticing this attitude, outlook, all of that kind of stuff was sapping away. In fact, it started becoming a little bit, you know, kind of gloomy. And so we prayed about it, and uh, we, we decided that, you know what, there's an influence here in his life that we don't think is too good, and it's now coming into the house because we had see it starting to seed into the other kids. So we kind of just were listening to the Lord, and um, the Lord nudged me some about music. Now listen, I'm not going to rant about music to you. I love music, and if you get in my car, I've got every kind of music possible, except for rap, which isn't real music. (laughs) She told me not to say that, but I'm sorry. I have no control. Um, um, (laughs) It's some other art form. Okay. So it's, po- it's poetry, okay? It's poetry with a beat. There's nothing wrong. I'm just being cute. Um, I've got to be careful about jokes, I heard, right? Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so, so, um, so we started, we thought, you know, we better check this out. So we looked at some of the CDs that, that were in Ben's room. And I didn't know many of the artists. But we decided to look into it. And I started looking at, this is easy to do. I started looking at these artists and I started reading the lyrics to the songs that I heard coming out of the bedroom. And there were certain artists that the music primarily centered around things like suicide, beatings, denigrating comments about women, just a whole lot of things that were not what we believe, not what we taught, and certainly not what we allow. And there had been some discussions about not bringing that kind of stuff into the household, let alone into our soul. And... Um, I got to be in my bonnet one day. And this day among our family is affectionately known as the Great CD Massacre. <laughs> and I was down at one end. I was in the family room at the house. And I said, hey, Ben, go get every CD out of your room and bring it down here. He could tell I was on a mission. He went and he got all these CDs. And it, it made a stack probably this tall, two and a half, three feet. That's a lot of CDs. And I already knew which ones were the objectionable ones. And I started talking with him. And I wasn't angry, wasn't yelling and screaming, but I was on a mission. 
And I was just talking with him about the effect of music and how we had noticed his attitude. And as I was doing this, I would pick that one up and set it down. I would pick that one up, pull the CD out, snap. Pieces fly. He's watching this going on now. You know, <laughs> snap, snap, snap. I mean, the majority of the CDs in this stack got broken. And I heard things like, but, but Dad, that's not my CD. I borrowed it. Too bad. I it's don't care. It's in our house. I don't care. It has no business being snap in this house. Snap. <laughs> snap. I mean, this is not about you taking them out of the house any longer. This is about me destroying something that never had the right to be under my covering to begin with. And you know better. Snap. But I'm going to have to pay for them. Snap. Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> snap. <laughs> snap. It was a significant amount of money. And embarrassment. Because he had to return these CDs to somebody, and he had to, or he had to pay for them. Now, I wasn't trying to be unloving. I had just built a guardrail that I was not going to move backwards one inch. And that was this. It was now affecting Ben, and he was beginning to affect his sister and his brother. And we said, look, Ben, this is the guideline. You know this. This stuff, don't ever bring this back into our house again. We will not allow it. Right, got it, Dad. I said, but I'm going to ask you to go a step further. We're asking you, not only do you not bring it into the house, but would you choose not to listen to it when you're not here? That's what we're asking. I'm going to cut to the chase here because I'm taking too long on this. We watched him change. It when was, he concluded... It was, it was like almost immediate. It was. He was happier and wanted to be more part. We got our son back. Mm-hmm. We got our son back, who had been on a course, and he was out in the bumpy land. And, um, and that guardrail, never allow any of your children to pollute the hearts of anybody else. And um, in Ben's case, the way he should go, Ben has a strong personality. Ben, that's how he needed to be led with very clear, decisive standard. That's raise up a child in the way he should go. If I had taken that same approach with one of my other kids, it would have crushed their spirit. But Ben needed a loving, firm, clear, there's the line. (laughs) Okay? Others didn't need a line at all. Okay? So, okay. My turn? Oh, the, the, the spiritual fruit of that is, is, sorry. <laughs> yes, it's your turn. Can I have just like 30 more seconds? The spiritual, please. Hurry up. Okay. Go. The spiritual fruit is we're accountable not to not just be a, don't be a negative influence. The standard for our children is that they need to be a positive influence on people around them. Because when you say no child is allowed to pollute, that's a very defensive guardrail. The guardrail really needs to be a positive one. You will be a positive influence on people rather than you won't be negative. Okay, sorry, honey. Thanks. Okay. For the-, um, the next one is for the kids, and it's um, never ask something or, or, or about someone. Never. You can permission. read it. Permission. Yeah. The, the point of it is never ask permission about anyone or anything in front of the others. Like an example would be if one of our kids came up with their friend and said, can this friend come and stay the night? No, we don't ask in front because it causes embarrassment. It's, it's disrespectful. It's, it's unloving. It's not righteous. It isn't that they don't ask. It's that they ask in the proper way. We, don't, we should not be made to look like the bad guys. Um, and so I, I was talking to one of my married kids the other day, and they even still to this day do the same thing. You know, If, if they want to go to dinner with somebody, they don't ask in front of the other one because you might have plans and I didn't know about it. Yeah. You know? So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool that they still continued on 
doing that. So the spiritual virtue for that is that it, it encourages courtesy, um, submission, respect, and that we will not be manipulated. Right. And they should not. Yeah. Man, you go pretty fast on your I know. So, I'm, so not, I'm not really You do a the rest of these. We'd be, you know? we'd be out here. Um, you have another one. Oh, I have another one. Yeah. It's a parental guardrail. And this one is, with specific intention, we use positive in, in, um, traditions to hand down values and virtues. So, okay, wait a second. Say I that again. I want to say that again. Yeah. Okay. I mean, intentionally. I, we I had in- coffee this morning. I'm a little bit. <laughs> You're doing great. Okay. But I, I want the, the, ch- the church to catch this. This is really With a big deal. With specific intention, use positive traditions to hand down values and virtues. And the spiritual virtue of this is its importance of family. Family equates safety, health, healthy relationships, love. We move together as a unit. It, it's got to be a safe place. When they're out in the world, they come back. We're, we're family. So you're going to see a slideshow. Oh, my gosh. This is, this is 28 years. It's a tradition for our family. 28 years. Each year, each year is represented. It's a Christmas card photo that we take every year. And it's like a holiday for us. We have the same um, picnic food. Yeah. And um, whoo, hairstyles change. Dogs come and go. We've added family members. But, but the thing that stay, stays the same is that every year we have to have the same food for our picnic. We have to go to the lodge. We have to have listen to Christmas music on the way up and the way down. And it's still, I, I've introduced new Christmas music. It still has to be Gloria Estefan and old Amy Grant. But anyway, it's something that my family really looks forward to. In fact, when the, the two older ones got married and the youngest one moved out, I thought, eh, they won't want to do this anymore. So I thought, well, at least I'll send out an email. And I got back in bold letters. Are you kidding? Of course we want to do that. So um, do I want to add anything? Well, I, th- anything I think I know you do. the picture here is that if their lives are full of good things, mm-hmm. Good ways. I mean, the point here was that we do these traditions intentionally because we want to hand values down to our children. The way you do that is you live it out with them. So these traditions create a place where those family values are reinforced. Those pictures are, you know, sorry to subject you to my family vacation pictures. Those have accumulated over 28 years in a row. So every year we have a picture that's one year older than the one before. You can see our family growing up. But what is contained in those pictures is this rich treasure of family traditions where we honor each other, we love each other, we, you know, and there have been challenges for our family and our family has been knitted together by those traditions and when the challenges come, family's still like this. Safe place. It's a safe place for us as a group or for them as an individual and that's what family needs to be. I'm sorry, honey. It's okay. We have another one and I, I, I'll just toss this one out. You pick. We call it you pick. It's a family night and it's, we created it on New Year's Eve. We wanted our kids to have fun be home and enjoy it. So we gave each kid a $5 bill, took him to Top Foods, and said, you pick, but... That's going to be dinner. You have to, you have to share what you buy. So the first year, um, no communication. Everybody just scrambled, and it was like two boxes of Fruit Loops and a jar of pickles. <laughs> and, and over the years, they learned Ben was to, the pickles, just yeah, in case you're yeah. wondering. <laughs> and over the years, they, they learned to communicate um, you know, who's going to get what. And so we have more junk than, I mean, I wanted, I wanted to make salad or something healthy just to supplement it. You got your $5, put it on wherever you want. Well, they wouldn't need it anyway, even if it was healthy, but they didn't turn out to be communists and they didn't get sick. That's right. So anyway, um, (laughs) um, 
So anyway, they learned to negotiate. If somebody spent $4 and somebody wanted 6 so there was a lot of good good things in there. But the spiritual virtue of it was mostly to be selfless, um, cooperation, teamwork, communication. Yeah, it's amazing how again, far $25 bonding. will go when they get creative and they figure out if they work together. I mean, this was not about having a healthy meal. No. This is about having fun together as a family. Yeah. And, you know, she's right. The first and, and few we, meals was Fruit Loops, potato chips, and ice cream. And we still do it, and we still only use $5. So it's pretty fun. I mean, we've done that for yeah. 25 years, and yeah. still $5 goes a long way. Your, your kids won't forget that. If you decide to try something like that, you take your children, even if they're six or seven, they'll learn how money works. And they'll learn about sharing, and they'll learn funny things, and they'll have one really unhealthy meal. Yeah. It's a great trade-off. They'll never forget. <laughs> you probably do it with your kids. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to skip that. If we um, don't intentionally hand down ver- values and virtues, then uh, American culture will do it for us. So. Yeah. That's really important, that last, yeah. last point. If you don't pass on your values to your kids, someone else is going to pass their values on to yeah. them. Yeah. And uh, you want it to be you and not them. Here's another one. I'm going to go fast on this one, but this is the one that kind of gets my hackles up. It would be... Um, and the way I would describe yeah. it, and my family would know what I mean by this, be careful how you talk to my wife. Okay, or it could be husband, right? But in my case, be careful how you talk to my wife. I mean, there were times that the kids would say something, and I would lovingly look them in the eye like this and say, do you want to rethink what you just said to my wife? Now, that's a funny way to address a child. Most of the time you say, do you want to think about what you just said to your mother? I didn't use that. I was intentional. Do you want to rethink what you just said to my wife? Gets her attention. <laughs> And there's a good reason that I phrased it that way. There, there is a very good, couple of very good reasons. Um, first off, if there was disrespect involved, I'm not talking about I'm tired and cranky and they need to get to bed. We're talking about there's something that's welled up in them that's just not righteous. Rethink the way you're just talking to my wife because of a couple of reasons. First off, um, there is a God-placed authority involved that they need to be taught. Children need to be taught to, to submit to God-placed authority. The thing about God-placed authority is that any authority for any of us at any time, if we can't choose to um, tame our own will, we're never going to find real peace in our life. If your will rules everything about you, you're never going to satisfy it. There has to come a place where you're willing to submit. And um, so the second thing is this. The second virtue that I want to talk about is um, God's relational priority. Here's what Scripture says it is. Spouse before children. Now, that's a, that's a um, hard pill sometimes where the spouse relationship is at odds. And I'm not talking about the fact that a crying infant needs food. Your spouse can wait. Take care of the crying baby. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about the difference between want and need. As a child grows, their needs tend to turn into wants. And, um, you know, here's what I would say. It's it's so important that children enter a marriage-centered family, not a kid-centered family. I mean, kids are a welcome addition, but you were already a family before they came along. Wait, say that again. Kids, kids are a welcome addition. But you were, we were a family before we had any kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Scripture is pretty clear about this. Um, the, um, the Word of God, basically, the words of Jesus, and it's in a couple of places, 
there's a scripture where they're talking actually about divorce, but Jesus said, what God has put together, let no one separate or put asunder. And yes, divorce is an accurate application of that passage. But if you study the word out there, let no one separate. The word literally means create space between them. Let no one create space between Whoever God has joined together in marriage, let no one create space between. And believe me, that is a skill set that children work on. <laughs> they do. They want to create space because they want to nudge in there. And it's just, it's, I did it. You did it. We all, we all tried to do it as children. And it's just um, the best way you can love your kids is to love your spouse so much that their kids can never see daylight between the two of you. Just never, ever do that. Um, we, we've kind of run out of time here, so I think what we need to do here, honey, is um, yes. go down through the quick quips, and then let's, let's close. Okay. So, <laughs> so these, we aren't going to develop these. We're just going to give them to you in quick, rapid-fire fashion. And okay. What is rewarded will be repeated. Let that soak in. Let's think about that. Okay. <laughs> Make promises, not threats. I... I think if you have to start counting, you have already lost the battle. So mean what you say, stick to it. Oops. And uh, don't just. It does teach the kids how to count, though, at least yeah. up to three. But so but there is that going for it. You've already lost the battle. Can so. I do the next one? Do it. Integrity. Protect your integrity. Here's the quick example oh. what I'm going to make. And I'm not going to rail about, um, I don't think we have any really young kids here. I don't want to spoil anybody's Christmas. Um, but listen. I, I don't have any trouble with Santa Claus. I don't call him Satan Claus or anything like that, right? <laughs> um, but, but we never taught our children that Santa Claus was true. We taught them about a folklore. We taught them about a tradition. It's a cute story. It's a cute story. And believe me, if you want to play that story out in your household, there's nothing wrong with doing that. And kids are really good at pretending. They understand what it is to pretend, and they play along just fine. But the point never came for our children when all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, this is never true. But my mom and my dad told me it was. How do I reconcile? How do I, I don't, we wanted, never wanted our children to have an integrity crash or concussion. And so I encourage you, do, family, do, do Christmas traditions. That's just one example. It's okay. But put it in that text context for your kids so that your integrity is never questioned with your kids. Go ahead, honey. No friends at our home when a parent wasn't there or vice versa. We would hope that they would honor our feelings about that. Um, no opposite gender in the bedroom ever. <laughs> ever. Just not appropriate. That's, a, that's a, your own private space, and so it should not be uh, an opposite sex in there. And when the kids are arguing... Make sure that you that they see you reconcile. It's it's not realistic to not discuss, but you you need to teach them how to reconcile, and they need to see that you've reconciled and everything's good. Okay, so. okay. One thing we want to just close with, and that's I'm going to ask you to tell a story. Um, well, I, okay. You know, I, God will I work with you when you decide to follow His plans for raising your kids. God will get involved in your role as parents in a supernatural way. I'm, we have one quick story that's supernatural. It, we, I'm absolutely convinced this was God's finger that did this next thing. So I'll tell the story. And okay. Then... Well, I have permission to tell the story, by the way. So um, we didn't want our kids to go out on New Year's Eve. It just didn't seem like a right. It's scary. It's one of the top three worst nights to be out on the road. But as the kids got older, we needed to extend the boundaries and let them make the choices themselves. So um, our daughter, 
um, said, uh, ask if <laughs> ask if she could go to a friend's house and spend the night. It was going to be a girl party, and they were going to have food and fun and games. And and we know the family, the great family. They're going to stay there and play cards. Everything was going to be fine. But we thought mm, we should just ask anyway. Rachel, are you going to be there all night? Dun dun dun. She says yes. So. Um, now I gotta understand. I gotta underscore. This is really uncharacteristic of my daughter. But anyway, so anyway, so our sons are home with us, Terry and I, and we bang the pots and pans and probably shoot off fireworks and yell and scream at midnight, and then we go to bed. And the phone rings. My cell phone's on the nightstand. It rings a little after midnight. That's kind of odd. So I I answer it, and there's no voice, but it sounds like party in the background, and it doesn't sound like girls having a party at a house party kind of it's kind of muffled and everything so and it was get, Rachel's cell phone number yeah. that it called and I'm thinking well that's kind of odd and then I hang up and we talk a little bit and I'm thinking that doesn't really sound like she's over at her friend's house but then it rings again same thing and I'm thinking oh. you can hear her voice in the background laughing talking yeah, it's stuff not, going something's on something's not right so it goes you know so we hang, she, I hang up and and then we're talking about this and, and we decide I'll call so I call her cell phone and it rings, it goes into voicemail. I think she's guilty and doesn't want to answer the phone or something. Yeah. But anyway, so then I I, um, I think I might have probably left a message, you better call me back. I'm not sure. But it was split second. She calls back, hi, Mom, just wanted to say Happy New Year. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? No, you don't want to say that. You're feeling guilty. So anyway, I said, Rachel, where are you? I'm downtown. And I said, all right, you stay there. Your dad and I will come in and get you. And it was the longest, quietest ride home. We made a d- decision before we went to pick her up that um, we weren't going to say anything all the way home till the next morning. So anyway, the point of the story is, is I really felt like it was a supernatural intervention that God reached into her cell phone and pushed those buttons to catch her in the probably the, the first time that I ever, probably last, made a major character correction in her life. And... Um, I, I don't recall. I mean, we laugh about it now, but I think it was a big deal at the time, a, a course change in her life. So, um, so here's the point. Yeah, I do. The point to capture here is this you don't know Rachel like we do. She was easy to parent, she was very compliant, she didn't lie to us. Yet, this was so out of character. She had chosen to, to deceive us and to go off on this tangent. It didn't work. <laughs> and we trusted her. We go to bed. At 12.30, the phone rings. It's a pocket call from inside of her purse. And of all the numbers in her directory, yeah, it's, mine. it's mom. And it's on my nightstand. <laughs> and of all of the times that a pocket call could occur, it's at 12.30. And of all the chances that it would just be the one deal, it isn't. It happens a second time. You can tell me it's coincidental. I, I, I just really can't get there. I believe the Lord knew, raise up a child in the way she should go. Rachel was a tender-hearted daughter who complied well. And the time she decided, I'm going off, going off the reservation, the Holy Spirit said, you think so, huh? Sorry, honey, I love you so much. I'm not going to let you do that. And I believe to this moment that the Lord was cooperating with our intention to raise her up as best we could, and he saw we needed supernatural intervention. And his little finger went down in that little person, but 
speed call five or whatever mom happens to be. And so it was an interesting night. I'm sure it tattooed her soul. <laughs> Remember as we arrived down there, she and all of her friends were huddled up in this car and it was all fogged up Could on the inside because the they were waiting for fogged. Pastor Terry to pick up their daughter. They knew she was in trouble and so they were too, I suppose. <laughs> the point was that God will partner with you. When you choose to raise your children in the love and admonition of the Lord, you actually are becoming his partner. And he gets involved in a supernatural way. I, um, I want to underscore that it's not too late. Again, it doesn't matter how old your kids are. The tradition part, the, any of these guardrails, it's not too late to do that. Okay. It is good. Thanks. You've done a great job. Thanks okay. for, for bringing the uh, family, family stories. And good laundry. I love you and you did terrific. Um, I, I think we've gone long, so um, would you stand to your feet? And I want to read a scripture over you, and this will be our dismissal. But this is an encouragement to you, whether you have biological children or you are a parent of the group, okay? This is Deuteronomy 6. This is Deuteronomy 6, and this occurs in scriptures just after the Lord has given the Ten Commandments. So here's God talking. He says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. God, um, we, just, um, we, just, we realize that every child that we would care for has been entrusted to us by you. These are your precious little ones. So we have some ideas about what to do and we have some experience and maybe even some training. But God, we ask for something more. We want to partner with you as you would raise your children. So we ask God for you to do some things here. We ask for you to give us the ability to see danger before it comes. Lord, the wisdom to know what to do and the courage then to do it. And Lord, we invite and ask for the supernatural to partner, partner with too. We thank you for doing that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Okay, one youth. Okay, I want to talk about two things on both ends of the spectrum. One is.